0: This is Bonjour Chai, the Habs are the only good news in Canada this week edition. I'm Avi Feingold in Montreal, and I am here with Melissa Lanceman in Toronto and Alana Zakon in Vancouver. We are your Frozen Chosen. On today's episode, we talk about the terrible crime in London, Ontario, and we will welcome Nakuzet on the show to discuss Native Jewish relations, especially in the wake of the recent discovery of the mass grave at a residential school in British Columbia. How are you guys?
1: It's been a, it's been a tough week for the country.
0: It really, really has. Has there any been been any good news? Well,
1: I, am I, going to disagree with you on the on the on the Habs news. But all, you know, <laughs> all true. joking aside, I it think the, you know, the 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 country is 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 reckoning with, um, you know, sort of things outside of our immediate COVID situation. And it's been, you know, it's been a tough emotional week across the board and it feels like no matter what community you're from yeah um, there's something there's something
2: yeah I don't know about you two and maybe it's just because you know since we started the podcast I'm just a lot more aware of the news Um, but it just feels like during the pandemic it's been like one thing after the next and maybe it's because we're all in lockdown or versions of lockdown. We're at home. We have more time. We're not socializing as much. That people maybe are noticing more or was this always there? I think it's And now there. we're just seeing it. I think it.
0: you're reading the news a lot more. <laughs> <I> probably am. <laughs> for for <laughs> Melissa as a news, I'm, I'm sure Melissa is a crazy news junkie and she's been like, the past year and a half, there's been nothing going on.
1: What's going yeah, on? Yeah, exactly. Your... <laughs> it's like it's, it's case numbers and what's open and what's closed. <laughs> That's...
0: Yeah. Well, my kid's graduating elementary school you know wow. so like that's, that's, that's something she, she's the french valedictorian which is not bad for a kid born uh in america and you know only came here when she was four uh so i'm proud of that that that's some good you know something that's, a, that's other that's, people that's are something. graduating they, they they're allowing us to attend in person um which right. was a yeah, decision yeah. made last night that. uh about being able to attend uh graduations in person uh, that's kind of cool mm. um although i'm gonna miss um the the, the synagogue uh, the charge mime is doing for one night only melissa have you ever been to beauty's yeah, you know, of course. Be, Alana, have you ever been to Beauties?
2: Weirdly, I've walked by it a thousand times, never went inside. So Beauties, so because of the pandemic,
0: places. did a full, full gut reno. Um, really? Before they officially open, because the entire kitchen was brand new, they're like, let's go kosher for a night. Um And really? so Monday wow. night, Monday night... Beauties is going kosher we had a reservation we were supposed to go and uh now my kid's graduating and so i have to pick uh an authentic mishmash (laughs) omelet or my daughter's valedictorian speech
1: what Uh, a tough decision (laughs) uh, how i mean what kind of omelet
0: it's a mishmash omelet that's the like that's the thing
2: Also, is beauties really going to be beauties if it's renovated? Isn't the whole point of going there? It's I think like they the just old did I timey...
0: I wasn't at Gut Reno, it was a facelift. It was cleaning oh, up and see. stuff
1: like that. Yeah. Gotcha.
0: Anyways, uh, before we get to our first topic, let us hear from our sponsor.
2: Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Atelier Lou Bijouterie in Montreal, Quebec. Atelier Lou specializes in watches and custom-designed jewelry along with a curated selection of designer jewelry. Visit us online or in person and Eric Goldberg will make your jewelry dreams come true. Atelier Lou is offering a promo code for all Bonjour High listeners using BON18 at checkout for 10% off your order at atelierlou.com.
0: This past Sunday, a man... Jumped a curb with his truck and senselessly killed a family by ramming into them. The outpouring um, and protests against Islamophobia and the outpourings of support and and vigils have been, you know, it, it's sad that that is what it takes for something to be heartwarming these days. Is the in the aftermath of a tragedy, but it's been really um, it's been good to see a country come together um, over something that is so tragic, um, and that. Easily, if you ask me, could have been preventable. But the, there's one thing that I, I really got struck by when hearing the first day. Um, I all I all I kept hearing about was, uh, is he Jewish? That name is it? Is it Jewish name? Is he Jewish? Is he Jewish? Is this somebody that was Jewish? That was Islamophobic? Uh, and and then there was this huge relief amongst a lot of people that I'd been seeing online and in person. Of like, oh, thank God he wasn't Jewish. And it really hit me. I was like, what's going on here? You know, like. Is is it better that he's not Jewish? Why is it better that he's not Jewish? What is going on, right? Does it absolve us of any sort of communal responsibility? Um, somebody help me out here. Why does it even matter if he was Jewish?
1: Look, I don't. I don't look at it as as absolving the community of anything. I think the you know. I think over the last number of weeks, particularly in the in the Jewish community, and certainly not to make it uh, about that, there's there's been you know an an increased fear uh and and rise in 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 anti-semitism and i i think that this was just a a projection of that fear of Mm -hmm. you know if he was you know if he was jewish does it does it get worse for us i think people are thinking about it in that uh in that way right or wrong
2: yeah no i I was going to say the same thing i think everyone's just like a little bit scared it's like is there going to be another reason for people to come attack us not to take away from the crime because i think And I agree with you. Heartwarming feels like a weird word to use in this context, but like I do.
0: I I, I agree.
2: But I I really, really do appreciate how much the Jewish community has been vocal on on this issue. Like I'm seeing it across the board online, in person, having conversations with people. I think it's really beautiful that we're standing up for other minority groups and, and it should always be that way with anything that happens, you know.
0: And I will accept, by the way, that I was not expecting that. And especially based on stuff that I had said in on this podcast in the past. And uh, it was it was good for me to be proven wrong um, to a certain extent or to Glad a larger extent.
1: I look, I um, you know, we've seen people saying that uh, racism uh, is, you know, is the face of Canada. And I, I think it's important to to understand what we just saw. The, the face of Canada was actually that vigil. the The mm. face of Canada wasn't you know the 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 crazed lunatic driven by hatred of, uh, of a religious minority who, uh, who who rams this truck into a family wiping out generations the face of Canada is and should be the people that showed up at that vigil the people that showed up for that family and I think there is not enough that's uh, that's said about that hmm. That's a good point
0: yeah I, I I'm still like, Stuck a little bit on this, you know, thank God there's no more anti-Semitism because he wasn't Jewish, Um, because on the one hand, the fact that we were asking ourselves this means that we could have been a community that released some individual like this from our community, not even released, you know what I mean by this, like, this could have been one of ours. The fact that we can even conceive that it was one of ours um, is hurtful to me. It's sad that that there are members in our community that we can imagine would do something like this. And that's where this like, oh, was he Jewish? Was he not Jewish? Right. It had nothing to do with anti-Semitism. I mean, yes, it had something to do with that. And I, I do acknowledge that there very likely would have been a larger backlash of anti- or a larger spike of anti-Semitism um, as a result. If, Definitely. He, if this individual was. But, but it really, really disgusts me, really, really scared me that like— um that we're just asking ourselves like well what diff like how much better or worse would it be if this person was part of our community or not because there are definitely layers to that and not just the anti-semitism there's this idea that like we could have easily um you know we can like i just said we could easily see somebody like that coming from the jewish community and the fact that he's not well that means that we're not that racist we're not that islamophobic or we didn't let one of our private anti like islamophobes out into the wild um Like I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm
2: going to cut in here. I, I very much disagree with that statement. I personally, when someone said to me, do you think the person might be Jewish? And and this is a Jewish person asked me this. And my Mm -hmm. first thought was like, absolutely not. Maybe, could it be? I hope not. That was kind of my thought process. But my first instinct was like, I don't think so. I mean, I really don't know. Honestly, I don't feel like our community, our culture our whatever you want to call it. Um, does breed, quote-unquote, as you said,
1: that type of hate oh. like I really don't I don't think have, that's have you what's heard going of the on. Jewish
0: defense League oh Did you see uh, the
1: look, guy? I, I, <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna disagree with you like there is no monopoly on uh, on discrimination it rears its head in every single community and I don't think we can be responsible for crazed maniacs I'm gonna call this guy fueled with a kind of hatred um, that is not taught in our schools that is not taught in our community that is found in yeah. in, in places online so I don't think this is this is a, a norm. A, I think this is entirely driven by what the Jewish community has felt over the last number of uh, of weeks, hoping that it doesn't get worse because people yeah. are scared and people are angry. And I
2: think and I think it's proven in the fact that rabbis attended the vigils, many Jewish people stood up for this. So clearly, people are feeling for the community. I don't think people are. I, I think the the reason why that this this question came up was because of anti-Semitic uh, people spreading these. Propaganda, lies, and and conspiracy theories saying like, oh, this name sounds a little bit like it could be Jewish, when it turns out that it wasn't. So like, I think well, that little seed planted in you know exactly what Melissa said. It's like, oh so shoot, like what, what if you going to do now?
0: What, what 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 if he was? But he's and not. Let's bracket. Hold on. Let's bracket out the uh, the 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 spike in anti- the inevitable spike in anti semitism. Suppose this individual was Jewish. What do you think the communal response would be?
2: I mean, if. To, to use another example, which is nothing nothing to do with... No, an- yeah, no, hold on. No, no, no I, I'm answering your question yeah. um, through another example that's on a different topic. But if you look at someone like Harvey Weinstein, Jewish person, did a terrible thing. Did the Jewish community all stand up for Harvey Weinstein? They definitely did not. So I don't think it would be any different in this
1: case. Yeah, look, you would call it out. You would condemn it. Um, and you would know that it's not institutional within our you know within our teachings or within our communities and and suggesting that it is yeah. i am gonna you know i'm gonna bring up something that did happen at uh, at the vigil mm-hmm. which i thought was was you know inciting of uh, of a hatred and it was you know, it was the last speaker at uh uh at oh, the yeah. vigil
0: that was that was quite something
3: brother bilal rahal asked me to share final words well i don't have to speak each and everyone who's present here is a final word. You all said everything that needs to be said, except one angle. I would like to share with our officials. Now there's a reason why they say the world is a small village. Every country has a foreign policy. I just want to say, whatever is happening in Jerusalem and Gaza is is related to whatever happened in London, Ontario, period. Thank and it me. was
1: like, it was absolutely disgraceful that yeah. somebody would turn a moving vigil into, or a, a victims state. of a yeah. complete tragedy into this hate fueled political pulpit yeah. that perpetrates the very hate that threatens religious communities across Mm -hmm. the board. And we've got to condemn that too. And we've got to stand up against that because you can't can't have a a, a tragedy um, with thinly veiled and not so thinly veiled uh, you know threats about why this is happening, and to attribute that to the Jewish yeah, community. So,
0: Melissa, you you think that we should we should not conflate religious uh, life with political life, right?
1: Look, I think if it was a real uh, if it was a real vigil no, 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 to no, no. mourn should, the 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 victims of this tragedy, I, I then there agree, should be but, no but politicians say, speaking at the pulpit.
0: No, but I was saying it is it is important to separate political life from you know religious life, right?
1: Yeah. Look, absolutely, and it is important so that, fundamentally to fundamentally... we should
0: separate. Does that mean that we should separate anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism?
1: No, because they're one and the same. Sorry, I'm just this, trying to rally no, you this, up here. Look, this is, this is one and the same. <laughs> I think there is a there is a role for politics and religion, and it is to uphold know, and yeah. protect the yeah. right for people mm-hmm. to feel comfortable. You know, to, yeah. to, to wear a kippa, wear a hijab, wear a turban and walk freely in our streets. And I don't think this is the norm. I think this is an anomaly and we should perpetrate or we should bring that perpetrator to, uh, to justice in the, in, the, in, in, in the best way that our legal system allows for it. And if it doesn't allow for it, we should make the changes to make an example of this because it's not the norm.
2: Yeah. I mean, I I agree with you, Melissa, that even listening back to that recording and hearing people clap, it was like that crazy, like scary mob mentality thing. It's like from a theater background um, in a show, like when you really want to get people in the gut, it's like you make them laugh and then an instance later you make them cry. And so it feels like it's like the reverse of that where it's like, oh, this is a vigil and it's really sad. And then all of a sudden someone comes in and makes this kind of like political statement about Israel and people are already so vulnerable that that's very dangerous because that could start like a mob if it was like the right, you know, the wrong place at the wrong time. But in, you know what I mean? So it does get a, like... I think
0: that's a rabbit hole that yeah. we can save for another time. Totally. It's it's a very deep rabbit, rabbit hole um, that does warrant further discussion. Um, but I, I, for one, would love to say that I, I do agree with you guys that it would have led to a spike in anti-Semitism. It would have been very terrible for the community. Uh, I am glad that this individual is not Jewish um, simply for the reason... Not nearly as much for that, but more for the reason that I want all of Canada to have some collective responsibility, to be able to say that we don't absolve ourselves, we don't wash our hands of the fringe elements, um, that we still as a nation are responsible for living in a country that fostered, even on the, the, the very dark corners of our can na- online nation um, the ability for this hate to, to ferment to the point where somebody was willing to like do such an act. Um, it, it happens in our Jewish community, um, but I'm very, very happy you know, and like I said, it's not in the establishments. It's it's really like in the corners. It's people talking, people chatting around Shabbat tables and at Kiddush clubs and stuff like that. That that Islamophobia is there. I'm not calling it out in, that spe- in this specific instance. I'm calling it out as a nation that this stuff is still there and we still have a lot of work to do.
2: I, I think one thing, if I can add, is just I think... This paints a picture of what it might be like for someone, let's say, who is Arab having to deal with an act of terrorism that was committed and automatically, you know, going through security at an airport and being flagged because they're like, oh, you look like you could be a terrorist. Like, this is something that a lot of communities have to deal with. So it shouldn't be any I don't think we have to treat it any differently on on our end of things. If going back to what you said about if the guy was Jewish, it's like we just we have to make that distinction and know that, you know, the uh, Islam does not promote terrorism, like that's not part of the religion, and I know that for a fact from research that I've done in, in my work um, you know, in the same way that, that Judaism doesn't, doesn't promote killing, absolutely not so we, we need to be aware of that
0: I, I couldn't have said it better The discovery of a mass grave containing 215 children at the site of the Kamloops Indian Residential School has led to communal mourning for these and the very many other children that were lost to this uh, tragedy, decades-long tragedy, as well as renewed calls for the important work that still needs to be done. This work to not only raise awareness but to finally make just the ugly truths of Canada's past is long overdue. With us to talk about this and how the Jewish community can be part of this is Naguset who is the Executive Director of the Native Women's Shelter in Montreal, as well as the Director of Resilience in Montreal. Naguset, without getting too much into your story, and we can get into that shortly, which everyone should look up online if you don't already know it. Uh, you likely have an understanding of the Jewish community better than most Indigenous people. You grew up in the community, you saw it in good times and at its worst. Where does the work begin? Right. How can we become better and not just putting out a pair of shoes or 215 pairs of shoes and not just this week, but, you know, far beyond a single tragedy?
4: I mean, I think that uh, people need to really understand the history. And that might be something that's a little bit more difficult in Quebec because uh, the history books are um, very uh, lean in terms of Indigenous content. So, um, So that there's like a personal responsibility of looking into what has happened um, to the Indigenous community, um, I mean, really just understanding treaties. What does that mean, a treaty? And when did that happen? So, for instance, my, I'm originally from La Ronge, Saskatchewan. And, uh, you know, my community um, signed a treaty with the Queen in 1876, which allowed all Indigenous Cree members to have $5 a year for being an Indian. That never went up. We still get five dollars a year and basically that was to take all our land and then that's when the residential schools were implemented and um you know basically most of our rights were taken away that's a really long time and it goes it goes back that far so people really need to um what they want to understand is to not just look at history in the last five ten you know 20 years but to really take a look and to see how we have been displaced uh to see how you know there's been a, an effort to basically get rid of us like you know uh not too long ago they changed the street of um that guy what's his name oh he used to put smallpox in
0: blankets amherst, amherst. amherst and <laughs> so, all became what
4: yeah so right so it's really strange because um if i'm gonna have a street sign named after me you would you would think that it would be for a good reason but what do we do in Montreal is that, you know, we have a lot of statues and street signs, uh, even metros, right? Linel grew I mean, he did a lot of, uh, you know, he was very racist against the, the Jewish community. And yet they're elevated and they're looked at as if they are important people. But, um, you know, you really need to... Not a good
0: friend of the Jews, I could say that. Yeah,
4: absolutely. So why does society do this? And, and um, yeah, so I think there's that sort of joint... Um, history of of elevating really negative horrible people uh as something that is sort of a leadership role that we should sort of embrace that's problematic so anyway there are like you know after the show you can give like a gazillion um links to um sort of indigenous history and i mean honestly i've been living in montreal since i'm three years old and I I find, like, I struggle with the fact that most Quebecers don't even know that there's 11 nations. Like, that's something that should be in the schools. It should be a known fact that we have 11 distinct communities, Um, not even, we have 52 communities, but 11 nations. Like, it's, we are really forgotten and erased. And um, when you just sort of do that to Indigenous people, then it allows for um, the negativity. And I think, again, that when you, when you try to cover stuff up, then everyone is really surprised to find 215, you know, bodies of children in a mass grave. It's like, oh, we didn't know. Well, why didn't you know?
2: So I can attest, having been brought up in Montreal and Quebec, that there's a huge, huge oversight in the education system around indigeneity. It feels like it was just this little blip at the beginning of our history book. And it was only upon moving to BC about five years ago that I really began to um, learn more, uh, meet more Indigenous people, go to museums, go to see shows about it. I am I work in theatre, um, and one thing that stands out to me was a show called Children of God. I don't know if you have heard of it. So uh, that show was um, a musical about the residential schools, and seeing that show, I cried so much. And at the end, they had a Q&A where um, survivors of residential schools happened to come up and, and speak and ask questions, and after seeing everything that, the, uh, that you know, you've been through in in those times in the schools it just made it so much more real and I was like why can't we have this education in our school system and it's amazing that that show toured across Canada Um, but I'm just wondering on your in your opinion why can't we have more of that education in the school system what what are the barriers And what can we do to improve that, whether it's in the Jewish school system or just generally in the school systems in Canada? Okay, well, I
4: just need to talk about Children of God, because that was in Montreal and it was at the Siegel Center. And I was hired by the Siegel Center to be that um, uh, sort of uh, outreach worker. So I would bring in indigenous people to come um, and see the play. But I also was part of those talkbacks. Oh, really? Right, wow. At the end, yeah. So I loved that. That was really, really awesome. It was a, and again, you know, I was able to watch the show. So every time I, <laughs> every time I was wor- working the show, I was watching the show. I must have seen the play like twenty times and oh, wow. cried every single time. It's yeah, I'm it sure. is really powerful. But you know, in terms of why the government doesn't, you know, acknowledge. Um so, or, or you know, insist on having the uh, proper history uh, is because it really is an advantage to them right so these sort of biases that are created uh, benefit the government you know nobody wants to be seen as that person that you know put smallpox in in bay blankets or you know um, stole land or you know forced starvation or you know they're, they're all bad things Yeah. right so it's much easier to just kind of put it under the carpet no one will know let's just not talk about it we won't mention any of the different nations or the cultures or the you know treaties or the agreements or Mm -hmm. anything we'll just pretend like it never happened and it's almost like um ignorance right and and that's what is being taught now it's being you know very very little and when i went to high school i remember i had some friends from gnawage And they they were irate when the history teacher would talk about history. And thankfully, our history teacher at the time was 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 saying, you're absolutely right. This is wrong. Mm, And that's really difficult. But if you have a government that wants to, you know, uh, deny systemic racism, um, it is because it benefits him. Because if he says that there is systemic racism, then he will have to apply. Change. Yeah. And people don't like to change. Right now, everything is working beautifully. Sometimes I feel like if we become empowered, then we will ask for change. Hmm. And, you know, right now, um, you know, if we fight for our rights, um, then it will cost the government because they will have to sort of own up. So, um, yeah, I mean, Basically, schools, if they want to uh, teach, there are many different ways that they can, uh, if allowed, um, and there's an enormous amount of resources. And, you know, there is this, um, there's this thing on um, YouTube um, or the, yeah, it is YouTube um, and it's called Unpacking the Backpack and there's a woman named Charlene who, um, who does this sort of, it's almost like a, a a monologue and she talks about how heavy it is to carry our, 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 um, I guess our traumas. Yeah. And it's like, it is so powerful that I was in Calgary at a missing and murdered conference and she came in and she only presented like, 15 minutes of it it's like a it's a it's a half-hour uh, monologue but she only did 15 minutes and every single person in the room was bawling their eyes out so um, this is something that people can watch now I think it was it was the indigenous people that were crying a colleague that was <laughs> sitting next to me who was not indigenous and I was like how come you're not crying she goes hmm. Cause I feel guilty and wow. we don't need that guilt, right? We need action. We there are yeah. so many different things that you know uh, allies can do by just sort of like asking questions: Why? Why is this happening? Why is this continuing? Why are you, you know, denying systemic racism? You know, um, I think that you know with what happened with Joyce Eshaquan, there's a there's a responsibility for institutions to you know apply either Joyce's principle. If the government did the, uh, you know, VN's commissions and came up with 142 recommendations and no institutions are implementing it, there's a question, why? Why aren't there hospitals using it? Why isn't youth protection using it? Why aren't the court systems using it? Why are, you know, there's so many different things. Why? Why are we sort of like, oh, that's a lovely report, but, you know, it doesn't apply to me and I am not forced to read it and I don't have to make any change and you know, we have to continue walking into these institutions feeling very uncomfortable and not knowing whether or not we're actually going to be treated in a good way. I
1: do. I, I want yeah. to jump in here because I, I don't think, look, I'm, I'm sitting here in, the, in Ontario and I'm not sure that the system is any better. Um, you know, when the, when the, the bodies were uh, uncovered from, uh, from those unmarked uh, graves a couple weeks ago, you know, we had just, we talked amongst friends. When, is, when did we learn about residential school? And I think it was across the board that, you know, nobody remembers learning it uh, in, uh, in high school, uh, in public school or in the Jewish school system. And it was until university that you, you know, maybe you got curious and you looked up. Uh, you look this up on your own. So I, I'm not sure that this is, uh, you know, this is unique to uh, uh, to Quebec. But governments across the board, there's been apologies, uh, there's been memorials. What what can we talk about uh, in terms of real action? What does that look like for uh, uh, for the community from the from a government's perspective? Beyond. You know, beyond the conversation of 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 institutional racism, what does action look like? And what does action look like specifically, I think, from the Jewish community, given your story?
4: You know, there's so much you can do and there's so many different issues to address. And again, you know, the, it is the Canadian government that implemented, you know, the residential schools. Uh, you know, it's the federal government that did that. Right. They did all of it. Uh, You know, like the past system, the Indian Act, all these different things. So, of course, it's not going to be in the federal books either, um, because it is a stain on their face and they don't want to acknowledge it. They'd rather just ignore it. So it is Mm -hmm. like a, you know, sort of Canada wide issue and probably in the United States as well. Um, But that does not mean that, you know, just people listening to this can't ask that question to their school board. (laughs) Why? Is my child not learning about it? So, you know, it gets very difficult for me because, you know, I have, uh, you know, three children. Two of my kids go to elementary school, they go to Hampstead School. And last week they uh, were asked to wear orange shirts. So, you know, my youngest Mahican said to me, okay, so can I bring the book? I bought them a a book I found at Indigo called I Am Not a Number. So it's a children's book on residential school, but he brought it in. And he also wanted to bring in something to sort of um, show that he's native. So I brought his, you know, he brought in his baby moccasins. But, you know, it's my children's responsibility now to go into that school and actually teach the class because they don't have the tools, right? Or they're not looking for the tools. And that's that's wow. really uh, difficult. Like, you know, it's not our mm-hmm. responsibility to teach people about what to do. Um, but, you know, if we have to, we will. Um, but what is your sort of, um, you know, if you're brought to this land, I mean, you should have a responsibility to to learn about the people in it. And you should also um, sort of acknowledge the fact that we continue to make efforts so you know i went and spoke at the missing and murdered um inquiry and there was a report that came out with like over 200 um calls to justice that nothing has been applied why hasn't that been applied why you know is that a question that you can ask either your you know uh political leader or or You know, or even yourself? Can you read it and see? Because there's so many difficulties, right? I could literally spin a wheel and think, "What am I fighting today? Am I fighting youth protection?" Oh no, that's no, that is today. Literally, I have a meeting with you, (laughs) with the group about youth protection because there was a report that came out by the Human Rights uh, Commission about the fact that uh, youth protection has been. Taking the rights away from Inuit children in care. So not allowing them to speak their language. Wait a minute. They did that in residential school. Why are they doing that now? Do you see that if you don't address the issues, they continue to perpetuate? So, you know, or sometimes this morning I was talking to, um, you know, some people in the justice system about Gladue reports. Does anyone know what a Gladue report is? This is an issue because if an indigenous person is being sentenced, uh, the law says that you have to apply a report to look into a, that person's history and how colonialism has affected them. And then when that is submitted to the judge, then, um, you know, they will uh, sort of sentence them accordingly accordingly right so i could literally spin a wheel and stop it and see oh am i talking about like the um you know the healthcare system like there are so many issues it's so difficult to just you know is there one solution no but i think that everybody has a natural tendency to work in a particular field and trust me that field i'm sure has been affected by you know, sort of systemic racism uh, against indigenous people. So that is, that's sort of an easier way. Sometimes people say to me, oh, um, we would like you to come and speak to our group because we're going to, you know, we're going to address the TRCs and we're going to, we're going to do the calls to action. I'm like, all 94 of them? No, you're not. You're not to do them so don't even pretend you're gonna do them when Justin Trudeau when he you know got Mm. elected and said he was gonna do the 94 ones I was like buddy what are you saying you're making a commitment that you will never do why don't you say you're gonna do five of them (laughs) and to date I think there's only 10 that have been accomplished so I don't want to overwhelm people with all the different issues that face I want people to sort of you know You know, in Montreal, you know, the Indigenous population is the highest population that is in youth protection, that is homeless, that is in jail. You can choose one of the three, right? And sort of dedicate that. Or if you're into education, just bringing in speakers, right? If you were to bring in Indigenous speakers into the schools, that would help the children. It's much more fun to have someone come and, you know, present as opposed to reading, you know, something in a history book that actually doesn't exist because no one's written it yet, right? I mean, I think the solutions are 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 there's there's a lot of them. You just gotta sort of you know look
0: so I mean the stories the you know the, the fact that you you know you've talked about youth protection as being the new residential school the the homeless issues like guess said Cabot Square, which is right near my house, which is you know a place that I, I should be visiting more often and actively working um, is one of those places where we as a community can and should be actively working um, to educate ourselves about and to um, to look at the injustices that have happened because of 200 years of injustice. Um, as a final sort of a close, what are the good pieces? Where can we educate ourselves about um, communities and not just about the injustices, which are absolutely there and, and, and really, really horrible, um, but, you know, how can I learn more about the, the, the rich heritage and the rich life um, that Indigenous people are living um, and, and and are experiencing and the history and the rituals and all of that stuff? Um, where do we fit in in the Jewish community rather than just gawking and saying we're going to go to a, a public powwow or something like that? Or is that what it is?
4: I love powwows. Powwows are awesome. <laughs> so I'd definitely go to a powwow if you have the opportunity. But you
0: know, from the last time I had you on a podcast, I still uh, you, I wanna, I wanna be at a sweat lodge with you one day.
4: Yeah, yeah, those are tough though. Those are tough. Um, the thing is that you know, like June twenty first is coming up, and that is uh, you know, National Indigenous People's Day or Aboriginal Day, right? Um, that's a day that's actually pretty much ignored. <laughs> so, I mean, I do a concert every year at Cabot Square, and I'll be doing one again, uh, you know, uh, this year. Um, But that is something that schools should actually celebrate. I know that they're talking about, you know, making September 30th as sort of a remembrance to the Orange Shirt Day or residential school day. And it's kind of like, why do we have to be remembered for doom and gloom? Why can't Mm -hmm. we be remembered for all the amazing, you know, uh, musicians and filmmakers and artists and poetry writers and you know, actors yeah. and, you know, community initiatives that that are actually out there. So, I mean, people can like look up online about Aboriginal Day and see if any events are actually happening in the community, because usually they're more geared towards urban areas or there's even shows on TV, um, you know, that are going to be um, um Played So you can sort of look into that. But again, look into your organizations, your local organizations, uh, indigenous led organizations and volunteer. And then you have really have a really good opportunity to to meet uh, the people and and really understand the issues they're going through. And then you can start really advocating, you know, and, you know, finding helping them to find a solution because I work with people all the time to um you know find solutions and and you know I was able to work with the Israeli consulate this uh last year, last August, I met with uh David Levy, and um he was able to give us like something like twenty thousand dollars so that we could have showers at Resilience. And that is such a basic need to take a shower. And he was you know we were very, very lucky to have that collaboration with him and people use it every day. Right? I mean it's the little things that you wouldn't think about. You know, or also, you know, we had both the Shar Shemayim synagogue that donated food throughout the year at Resilience, or um even that other synagogue, I forget the name of it, but it's on the Temple Emanuel. Yes, thank you. On yes. Shuburg, <laughs> Temple
0: Emanuel. So my wife is a, my wife is the Shar Shemayim. she was the one bringing you oh, food.
4: I was so happy and it was <laughs> so good the food. It was so good. They were so happy. So, you know, like these are really um you know important things that people can do, and it's just basic needs. So you can start there, right? And there's so much stuff Excellent. on the internet. You know, you, all you have to do is just like you know indigenous, you know, arts, and, and take a yeah. look and and see, and and you know buy indigenous books. You know, actually, you know, you know, pay it back to the community of those that are struggling and trying to sort of make it in the in the world through music, art, and all that, and and you know be part of that.
2: Yeah, I know here in BC, the Talking Stick Festival is great. I used to go to it and volunteer in the past before COVID. I don't know what exists in other parts of Canada, but BC certainly does a good job at, at celebrating mm-hmm. indigenity, that's for sure. Yeah, well, we're
4: behind.
0: Well, my call then is to all the Bonjour Chai listeners that are in Montreal um, to message me, and we will organize a Bonjour Chai listener um, volunteer day at Cabot Square at Resilience Um um, for anybody that's listening, you know how to message us, you know how to reach us um, through the Facebook page, through the CJN Lounge, uh, through me personally. Um, I'd like to see a handful of Bonjour Chai um, listeners to come and actually actively um, take part and, and move that needle a little bit forward. Um, so that's that. Um, Nakazette, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you so much for helping um, us understand this a little bit better. Um, and there is much more work to be done. We, we absolutely acknowledge that. All right. Nakuset is the executive director of the Native Women's Shelter in Montreal. You can see her story in a moving short film on CBC Gem and at the Toronto Jewish Film Festival called Becoming Nakuset. And her story is repeated many, many other times online. So go really do check it out. Thank you, Nakuset, for coming. And we'll uh, see you soon.
5: All right. Shalom.
0: We'd like to highlight rabbinic voices from across the nation as they share a bit of wisdom with us. Today, we are hearing from Rabbi Robin Fryer-Bodson, who is a rabbi at Beth Tzedek Congregation in Toronto.
5: This week was the 65th anniversary of my father's arrival in Canada. And finally, I'm going to be able to hug him tomorrow, because it'll be two weeks after my second COVID vaccine, and it's going to be the first time in over a year. The things we took for granted, right? If we look at the totality of our lives, then we will realize that this pandemic is actually just a blip, but it's an ugly blip that most of us despise. But soon we will return back to routines and a whole lot of, as the kids say these days, same, same, routine, how it's always been. A part of the same, same is returning to the classic Parshat Korach commentary. So I'm dusting off the classics for this podcast. In Pirkei Avot, we read that a machloket, a controversy for heaven's sake, will have lasting value, but a controversy not for heaven's sake will not endure. What is an example of a controversy for heaven's sake? The debates of Hillel and Shammai. What is an example of a controversy not for heaven's sake? The rebellion of Korach and his associates. So what do we know about Hillel and Shammai? Even though the Academy of Shammai declared one thing kosher, while the Academy of Hillel declared the same thing not kosher, and even though one forbade while the other permitted, the Academy of Shammai did not refrain from marrying the women of the Academy of Hillel, nor did the Academy of Hillel refrain from marrying the women of the Academy of Shammai. So these families of Shammai and Hillel could still sit around the table on Pesach or Shabbos and they could talk to each other. They didn't allow halacha to get in the way of social interactions. And this is not always the case anymore. And although Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel, they disagreed on so many critical issues, nevertheless, they behaved with love and friendship towards one another. So that's them. What do we know about Korach? Korach is the main character in this week's parsha. And he's not the easiest person to like, because he encourages us to think of our opponents, even our cousins, as enemies who deserve to be destroyed. Korach and his people rose against Moses and Aaron, and they said, You've gone too far, for all the community are holy, everyone, and the Lord is in their midst. So why are you raising yourself above God? On the words Vayikach Korach, the first two words of the Parsha, Rashi says, He took himself to one side with the view of separating himself from out of the community so that he might raise a protest regarding the Kohanim, regarding the priesthood to which Moses had appointed his brother. Right from the onset, Korach wanted to separated, separate himself out of the community. This word, Nechelak, sounds a whole lot like Machloket, which is the word for argument or controversy. A big lie, or in German, a grosse loge, is a propaganda technique used for political purposes defined as a gross distortion or misrepresentation of the facts, especially when used as a propaganda device by a politician or an official body. Korach partook in a big lie, and that's why his argument was not for the sake of heaven. We need to fact-check And we need to remember that our cousins are our blood, and the Jewish community is our blood, and we need to talk to each other's faces and not through social media intermediaries. For those of us that engage in Torah study and follow our annual Torah reading cycle, then you'll know that nothing I'm saying is new. It's that same, same, but the same message holds up. But right now, it feels like it has more urgency attached to it. In the Gemara in Sota, we read that Rabbi Yirmiya bar Abba says that four classes of people will not greet the divine presence. The class of cynics, the class of flatterers, the class of liars, and the class of slanderers. Korach, he didn't stand a chance.
0: Let's move on to our Nachas of the Week, where we'd like to highlight something which has come across our radar and given us some Nachas as Jewish Canadians. Melissa, what's your Nachas?
1: I'm, I'm, if you haven't checked this out, you, you have to. So here's my, my of the week. Um, and I'll start by saying I'm fascinated with Toronto's, um, Jewish history, um, mostly because... You know, I uh, I think it's the community that raised me, and I'm a first generation Canadian, and I wasn't part of that. It's not part of my psyche. So I love reading uh, about it. My parents are are newer immigrants, but over the pandemic, decades after it was written, there's a small graphic novel that had come out, and uh, it's a memoir called Top, uh, and it's about promoter Gary Top, and he used to work at this punk club. Um, I don't know if you can call it a punk club, a rock club. And uh, he grew up in the quintessential sort of North Toronto Jewish community. Like he references the camps that everybody knows and the shul that everybody knows in Midtown Toronto. But this is the guy who brought some of the biggest musical acts um, into the Toronto music scene. And, you know, we might not have um, hockey here um, in any sort of self-respecting way, but we do have um, a killer, killer music scene. And he was the person that sort of brought in the stones and, and brought in uh, Dylan. And it's like this untold history of this guy who started, uh, frankly, as a, as a, as a busboy at one of these clubs that are iconic to uh, you know, like to the to the punk rock scene in uh, in Toronto, and it's uh, you know there's a lot of pictures in it, so I was pretty was pretty happy to get through it pretty quickly.
0: Sounds Check great. Check that out. I will. Alana, what's your what's your nachas?
1: So this isn't exactly
2: new new news. Um, but I'm getting really excited that camps are reopening. Some camps, my camp, the one that I went to is reopening Camp Massad in Montreal or in the Laurentians near Montreal. Mm-hmm, so that makes me extremely happy because just thinking about if I'd been at a camper age last year during the pandemic made me so miserable. Camp was such an important part of my Jewish upbringing and just like the upbringing and development in general was such a fun time to be away. Um, so it's coming back at 50% capacity. I'm sure it's going to be strange to have to, you know, wear masks for the first bit of camp and then uh, be- make bubbles and all that kind of stuff. But it is happening. So I'm excited. Camp um, Masad is great. That's all I have to say. How about you, Avi? What's your nachas?
0: Does, does Masad make you happy?
2: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> i don't even know how to respond I have ne- to that <laughs> i know
0: i know so many massad people i've never said that to anybody um but, well you
2: said uh, it now to i don't even know how many done. hundreds to of everybody Canadians. in the
0: world <laughs> okay so um i'm gonna do uh so so this is interesting i um i, I like food uh either of you vegetarian no. i'm about to do a non-vegetarian uh okay Melissa? Our, our listeners might I'm be. A, it's not just about me and part, Melissa. Part,
1: a part-time a part vegetarian you a part between, time. Time. between I was meals. An ac-
2: I was an yeah. accidental pescatarian <laughs> in Vancouver for five years, but that's another story for another time.
0: So I'm about to make a carnivorous um, uh, nachas of the week. Uh, it's It's incredibly hard to find really, really high-quality um, meat. There's, uh, meat is in abundance in Canada. Um, the Canadian Jewish community loves its meat. The Jewish community in general tends to be very, very meat driven, especially the Orthodox community that tends to consume a lot of kosher meat. Um, but up until now, uh, the, the type of meat that you generally find is what's called wet aged meat, which is an inferior form of like making your meat Uh, making it uh, increasing the quality of your meat they it's aged in a a, a vacuum sealed bag for like a month so it sort of sits in its own juices dry aged meat is really the way to go Um, but it costs more because you lose more out of it and it's harder to make and you have to be more controlled with it and you have to know what you're doing Um, so until now i have yet to find dry aged steaks in canada you find them all over the place in america Um, and mahadran meat on bernard in uh, Mahogany Butcher Shop and Bernard in Montreal on the Mile End uh, has started doing dry aged steaks. Um, I highly encourage you to go out for there. Um, they're not cheap, but they are worth every penny. They have thirty day aged steaks. They have sixty day sixty day aged steaks, um, which are unbelievable. They've got this like funky blue cheese like feeling to it, and they're they're just more flavorful. They're they're tender. It's I highly go go get a go get an aged steak and a dry aged steak and figure out the difference because it's it's. Great. Uh, I'm told that he even has some 90-day-aged steaks waiting uh, to, to finish off and to, to really get perfect. Uh, so that is my nachos of the week. I had some dry-aged steaks last week from Mahadran, uh, and I really appreciated that.
1: All right, you, you win this round. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening to Bonjour Chai for Thursday, June 10th. Our producer is Michael Freeman. Technical production by Andre Goulet. Our music is by So Called. We are a project of the Jewish Living Lab and are distributed by the CJN Podcast Network. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a comment and a rating on the platform of your choice and let us know what you think about our discussions on the CJN Lounge on Facebook. I'm Avi Feingold.
1: I'm Melissa
2: Lantzman. And I'm Ilana Zakon.